0: Good morning. Man, it's great to see everybody this morning out uh, bright and early. Um, looks a little different here today than it did last week. Uh, if you were here with us, we had an amazing uh, an, an awesome and fun week last week as we packed over 27,000 meals, sent them to Zimbabwe, Africa. That's just amazing. Uh, you know, I love Yeah, give yourself a hand. Uh you know, we thought we were going to have to have the kids finish up. Uh, there was a question like, I don't know if adults can actually pack that many meals in the time we have. So the kids were all standing by. You know, we were thinking about hauling people in. But you guys got done early, actually. Uh, and I will have to say that this service packed the bulk of it. So you can uh, give yourself a little props on that, too. But it was an amazing week. And, uh, and I want to thank uh, Tiffany and Missy for, for getting us there and uh, for everybody else that was a part of it. It was awesome. It was so great. And I've enjoyed having uh, Patty... And uh, Joe, stay with us uh, this weekend. It's been great. You know, I I was just thinking as Tony was talking that we will never know this side of heaven, the impact of our giving. We will never know about those 27,000 meals, whose life is sustained, who came to know Jesus because they were given Jesus with a bag of rice. Uh, We will never know the impact of the giving in Denton, Texas, that Joe and Patty, the lives that they will touch. We will never know those things, this side of heaven... In heaven, we will know, you know, that's great. Meanwhile, our job is, uh, is to give, is to give, is to give. And so we're going to talk about giving today. And I've been thinking about a legacy a lot. You know, I uh, have another birthday uh, next month coming up, and it's not a big one. I had a big one last year, uh, but I got another one coming up. And I'm thinking about legacy more and more. And I, as I was thinking of that, I thought about somebody that left an amazing legacy, you know, most people here in Central Kentucky probably know about Southland Christian Church as a megachurch with several locations uh, around us. But if you haven't been here very long, you may not know the person who actually was the founding minister of that church. His name was Wayne Smith. And Wayne Smith was a bigger-than-life person, if you knew him. He was just bigger than life. Uh, he was a little loud. He loved to laugh. He loved to laugh and tell jokes, usually corny jokes, but he loved to tell jokes And he loved uh, to to share with people. He laid the foundation for that church, and those who have come along have built well upon it. But when I think about Wayne, the main thing I think about is Wayne's generosity, his generosity. He was a giving person. I still have in my office a small desk clock that Wayne gave us over 20 years ago, or about almost 20 years ago when we moved to this building. And it was engraved to me because uh, he, he came, I'm not sure if he was there that day that we moved in or what, but, but he gave me that, and that, that means a lot to me. And there are countless people down through time who have benefited from Wayne's generosity. You know, I've heard that his wife never knew what he was going to give away. In fact, I heard he was oftentimes in trouble with both his wife and the church because he gave away and gave away. You know, he just was that generous. But what an amazing legacy that he left. He was a man with a gift of generosity, and I want to be known like that. I want to be known as that person who loves to give because, uh, like we said, if there's one word that might summarize the Christian faith well, it might well be the word giving. So today we're going to start a series on generosity called This Is What We Do. No guilt, no shame, I hope it's inspiration. I want to inspire you and encourage you as you think about generosity. Generosity is a legacy that anyone can leave and generosity is what we do as Christians. I know sometimes people think, well, you know, generosity is for those that have a lot, and I don't have a lot. But that's not what generosity is all about. It really isn't. By the time we get through, I hope you understand that you can be a generous person with very, very little. Now, I think most of us would like to say, at least, hopefully we would, that we're a pretty generous person. We know what the Bible says. The Bible says what? It's more blessed to give than to receive, right? And we think about that, we talk about that, but do we actually live that out? I think overall Americans like to think that we're generous. We know that we, as a nation, give a lot of money away around the world. Sometimes we question about the wisdom of that, but we give, we give, sometimes we think we give too much, right? But we give and we do something, but tragically, many people, and in fact, I would say most people are not really all that generous. And the reason is that giving and generosity are two different things. They really are, you can actually give without it costing you anything. And in a nation like America, with all we have, we could give something away that really wouldn't cost, wouldn't really impact us at all. Generosity is the act of being kind and selfless and irrationally giving to other people. And that word, irrationally, might be a key word because all of us give, we give something away, but do we give irrationally? Do we give, another word might be sacrificially, we'll get around to that later on talking about it, But generosity is a mindset of orienting your life around the idea of being used by God to make a difference. When you're living out generosity, you intentionally think about, God has blessed me with something, therefore, I can use it for other people, and I'm going to give it away. I'm going to give it away freely and cheerfully. I think a lot of people feel like, uh, wish they were rich, so they could be more generous. And most Americans don't feel rich. But we really are. We really are. You know, when we compare ourselves with people around the world, we can see how rich we are. Here's, here's an example. If you own a car, even if you don't own it completely, if you own part of a car, that puts you in the top 6% of people in the entire world. If you own a car, you're in the top 6% of the wealthiest people in the world. That's pretty blessed. And we take our wealth for granted. Because if you're an average American, sometime in the last week, you left your air-conditioned home. You went out and got into your car, which, by the way, your car, most of it, has its own home. Have you ever thought about that, that your car has its own home, how rich you are? Some of you, some of you have two cars, and you have, you, both your cars have a home, but you can't get your car in their home because you got too much other junk in there, right? That's how rich you really are. Think about that. Top 6% if you even have a car, all right? Anyway, you got in your air-conditioned car, and you drove because you were hungry and you didn't want to cook, and so you drove past a lot of other restaurants until you came to your favorite restaurant, and you went in there, and you were a little bit irritated because it took five minutes before you could get a table, but when you finally did, you sat down at your table, and somebody came to to wait on you, didn't they? They came to wait and they asked you what you wanted, and hopefully they did a good job. And they took your order, prepared your food, they met your every need, they delivered your meal, and when you got done, they cleaned up after you and you went shopping to buy a bunch of things you didn't need. Isn't that how rich that we really are? It really is. It's it's pretty amazing. You came home, you slept in a comfortable bed in your air-conditioned house, you had a hot shower the next morning, you went to your closet which is packed from floor to ceiling. Most of you have seen some of your closets, all right? Some of you have two stories of clothes. Clothes here, clothes here. Some of you, you know what I'm talking about? That's how rich we are. You look through all those clothes you had, and you came to the conclusion that you don't have anything to wear. That's how rich that we really are. You know, a few years ago, our church adopted a a, a rural church in Haiti, my yet, some of you have been there and you've seen that that place. Most people there are really, really poor. They don't have cars. Almost nobody has a car there. They don't have air-conditioned homes. In fact, their homes are smaller, smaller than your car's home. You think about that. They are small homes. They don't have any restaurants. They don't have bathrooms. They don't, they don't have closets full of clothes. They don't have a lot of things that we have right here that we don't even think about. The pastor of that church in Mayette is Pastor Daniel. He is as poor as his members, but he loves the Lord. He has pastored that church for many, many years. And so, as we thought, how can we help this church? How can we let more and more people know about this wonderful church in Mayette that we are partnering with? Someone suggested, why why don't we bring How many people can we take to to Haiti? I don't know. But you know what would be easier? would be to bring Pastor Daniel here. We would bring him here, and we all could meet him, and we all could share what he was doing. We thought that was a great idea. However, we were cautioned not to do that. Because if he came over here and he saw how wealthy that we are, it would probably complicate our relationship. And as good a man as Pastor Daniel is, he might become bitter because of it would be hard for him to understand why we live like we do, and we don't do more for them. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Americans are rich, but we don't feel rich. Here's the other thing. Americans think they're generous, but they're not generous. They're not generous. The, overall, the average of Americans, uh, what they give away is 2.8% of what they bring in. 2.8%. So we live on, what's that, 97, 97.2%, I believe, of what we get. We use it for us. We don't, as average, I know not everybody, but that's, that's what Americans do. And here's the thing, the more someone makes, the less they actually give away, the less percentage they give away. That is not generous. That's not how we as Christians are called to live. You know, Jesus was the perfect example of generosity, and as believers, we are called to live lives of irrational generosity, irrational generosity. It doesn't make sense. So we need to understand that we are rich, but we don't think we are. We are not generous even though we think we do, even even though we think we are. Now, I want to start with that, and I also want to say I believe that many people want to be more generous, but really feel like they can't. They feel like they can't. But I will also acknowledge that when you do give, you feel really good about it. When you give something to somebody, it makes you feel good. It makes me feel good inside. I think it does everybody because we're wired for that. And whenever we're generous, we get this warm, fuzzy feeling inside of us, kind of a buzz, you know, because we gave. And we feel good and we want to give more. We want to share more because there's something that is satisfying when we know that we've given and made a difference. Here's another thing. Giving is reciprocal. It's reciprocal. If I give you something the way we're wired, the first thing you think about, you want to give me something back, right? Because that's just how we think. But also giving sparks other people to give as well. I recently heard about a restaurant that had a chain of people who paid it forward, and and you know what that, or paid it backward, I guess, paying for the meal of the person behind them. Have you heard of people doing that? I don't think I've ever done that. Maybe once. I don't know. Maybe I should start something. I'm I'm shaming myself here already, but I heard about this restaurant where people were doing that, and they did that for two hours, that everybody paid for the person behind them, for two hours. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? It's reciprocal. Somebody paid for my lunch, I'm going to pay for theirs going backwards. Now, we don't, think, we're th- we don't think we're rich, but we are. We think we're generous, but we're not. So how do we become more generous? How do we uh, understand that? Well, I think to do that, we got to we got to identify the, a gene in us. I'll call it a gene, a mindset maybe, maybe not a gene, but a, a mindset in us that defines why we think like this. And here is it's called the scarcity mindset. The scarcity mindset. We think we won't have enough, and so we don't feel free to give generously, even though we think we'd like to. And it really is a cycle that many people live in their life. You know, they feel like uh, we get paid, and we feel like, wow. Finally got paid because, man, I'm, I'm broke. You don't have any money, so I got paid. And you know what? All this is for me. So we go and we overspend immediately. And we consume, consume. We spend more, well, we, we spend more than we should, right? And then there's never enough. And then we get afraid that we're not going to have any more, that there's not going to move more. And so then we consume more in case we don't get anything, right? And sadly, this is how many people live. Many people live literally paycheck to paycheck, consuming, spending every dime as they go. In fact, they could lose everything if they miss one paycheck, just one paycheck. You know, I found something out a year or so ago I did not know, but I was talking to a bank um, VP or manager or something, and they told me that many people are always overdrawn. Now, we've all overdrawn, right? (laughs) Hopefully, you've never done that, but we've all done that probably at some point. But there are people who live overdrawn. Many people go in and write a cold check and overdraw, and they pay the overdraw, but they get the money, and then when they get paid, it pays for the overdraw, and then they write another cold check, and they never, ever get caught up month after month. I don't know if you knew that or not. If you live in banking, you may have, but that's how some people live. They live their lives like that, and what a stressful way to live life. Who would want to live like that, but people choose to? And then we know with the blessing of credit cards, you actually can spend more than you make. How crazy is that, to spend more than you make, thinking you'll never have to catch up? That is a scarcity mindset. So let me just say this. I know that none of you all live like that, right? But, but if you're always thinking, man, I just wish I could give more. I wish I could do more, but I can't afford to. Or maybe you tense up, When I said I was going to talk about giving today, because you're like, oh, no, not another sermon on giving, you know, Are you tense up, or maybe you don't give anything at all. You've never given anything. Then you probably have a scarcity mindset. Whether you identify that or, or like to think about it, you probably have that kind of mindset. But as believers, we don't need to think like that. God is not a God of scarcity. God is a God of abundance. And we need to have a different mindset. We need to have an abundant mindset. So, you see, it's so much about how we think about things. It really has very little to do with what the the number on your paycheck is, very little. It has everything to do with your mindset and the way you think about what you have. Do you have a mindset of scarcity or do you have one of supply? And that abundant mindset, that supply mindset comes from our faith in God and believing that God will never uh, give us less than we give him that God will always give us, that God will always supply our every need. And because of that, Jesus teaches us how to give generously. Jesus was a generous giver, and because of he gave, Jesus' followers give generously. This is what we do. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That verse of Scripture identifies both mindsets I just mentioned. A scarcity mindset, or sparingly mindset, or a generous mindset. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God's able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever." So, Paul identifies the principle here that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You know, I've never been a big farmer, but I know that when someone is serious about farming and trying to raise crops, you don't sow the cheapest seed you can find. And you don't skimp on fertilizer, you don't skimp on the effort of preparing the soil, soil. You sow abundantly, and you anticipate that you're going to receive many, many more times than what you gave. And the same thing is true with every area of life. When you make an investment, you want to make it in a way that's wise so that you will reap a benefit. You want to sow generously, knowing you will reap generously, but also knowing that if you cut corners and skimp, you're probably going to pay for that in the end. Keep in mind that everything that we have in this world belongs to God. And God determines who gets what. I will never understand that, this side of heaven. Why do we have so much when there are people in places like Haiti that have so little? We certainly aren't any better than them. Why do we have so much? God has provided that. I don't know, understand that. It's based on God's wisdom, but it's also in many ways based on how we use what we have. Because once we have been given, God says, now I want you to respond to that. And I'm going to bless you based on how you give back. And then God leaves it to us. He says, each of you should give what you decided in your heart to give, not under, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God is not going to force us to give, nor should anyone else. The pressure's off today. I don't want to raise guilt in anybody. I don't want to create guilt or shame or anything. I want to inspire you That is my goal, to inspire you to understand what it means to have an abundant or generous heart about giving. We should never be shamed about giving. But how we give, the Bible says, also determines how we are blessed. How we give, cheerfully, the Bible says, so we shouldn't give, you know, with resentment to God, but also how much we give. Are we sparingly giving or generously giving will determine how much we're blessed in the end. See, God's like any good investor. He's looking for people to partner with who are going to use his resources wisely and who he can bless with more. People who don't use what they have wisely should not expect God to give them more. That would be kind of foolish. It would be a bad investment. God is a wise investor. God wants us to invest wisely as well. And our giving literally is investing in the kingdom of God. And so he promises that whenever we give generously, we will, two things, we will have all that we need. The scarcity mindset is always afraid we're not going to have enough. We're always fearful we're going to run out. God's not going to come through for us. That's the scarcity mindset. But God said when you give generously, you're going to have all that you need. And then the second promise, you're going to have plenty more so that you can give more. So you can give more to others as well. A lot of people have entrusted their eternal salvation to God The most important thing they have, but they do not trust God enough to entrust their money to Him. And that is crazy. It's the most insane thing I've ever heard, that I would take my soul, the most valuable thing I have, and trust it to God, but I would not trust God with my money. I don't understand it at all. But I will tell you this, that God does His good work through us that we get to partner with him whenever we give. That's how his riches meet the needs of people in a practical way, and that's how his work is finished and funded. See, God's will is gonna be done, and we're gonna be blessed by giving. One version of this says that when you give generously to the poor, your good deeds will be remembered forever. That when you give, you are doing the work of God, you're obedient, and you are laying up treasures in heaven. You are investing, investing in heaven, And that's a great investment on our part, I believe. And then he promises, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So whenever you prove that you're faithful over what you have, God will give you more. Remember the parables that Jesus gave about the master entrusting certain talents or gifts to certain servants that he had. And every time they came back and invested it well, the master said, hey, here's some more. <laughs> go, go invest some more. Remember that? And the one guy who didn't invest anything, the master said, give me what you got. You wasted it. You hid it. And you didn't do anything with it. So I'm going to take it away from you. You know what? When, you're, when you prove you're faithful, God will give you more. And God will continue to supply and to increase what you have in larger harvest. Why? So you can get rich and fat and happy and enjoy more. No, that's not what it says. What it says is so that you can be generous on every occasion. So you can give more. So you can, can bless more. The Bible says to whom much has been given, much is expected. And God gets the glory for what's done. Guys, that's what abundant living is all about. That's what it means to partner with God. Do you, see what, do you see what you miss when, when you don't give or you only give sparingly? I have never talked to anyone who was a generous giver that worried about money. But I've talked to a lot of people who were always worried about money who didn't give anything. And I think there's a connection there. There's got to be. When you don't do it, when you give sparingly, you just keep living that cycle of scarcity, never having enough, missing all the blessing that God wants to give you. So God has a plan. God always has a plan, right? And His plan is perfect. So God's given us a simple plan for our giving. He's given us this idea. He's given us this guideline. What I want to call, which makes sense, a sliding scale. No matter how much we make, we can give generously. And then we can give beyond that. But this is the place to start. The Bible says we give 10%. The Bible calls it a tithe. back backs to Him as an act of worship and generosity. So God gives first, God gave us all. God gave his only son, we know that verse in the Bible, to die that we could be saved. And he offers him to us, the greatest gift ever. And then God blesses us financially. And in America, we already know that we're very, very blessed. You know, God says, God doesn't say, I want you to go borrow a bunch of money to give me. God doesn't say that. God says, I'm going to give you this, and then I want you to give it back. I want you to acknowledge that. And then God multiplies whatever we give for his glory. He he goes beyond what that little bit could actually amount to. You know, common sense tells us that if we give something away, we're going to have less of it, right? But but with faith in God assures us that if we give it away, we're going to have enough. And in fact, we'll even have more. So when God says, okay, here's how I want you to give. I want you to acknowledge that 10% of everything you have already belongs to me. And, and this is what he teaches us that 90% goes much further with God than 100% goes without him 90% goes farther with God in it than 100% goes with, without him parthing is just tithing is just smart money management it really is from a financial point of view but tithing also breaks the cycle of scarcity because we trust God and we say you know what I got paid. I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm going to give it a shot. I trust God, and it creates a cycle of supply and blessing. You know, some people struggle with the idea of tithing, and I know that to be true. Some people are scared to death of it. They don't think it will work for them. Uh, I understand that. But there are also other people who don't see that as a, a biblical command. They see it as a part of the Old Testament law. But let me remind you, even before the law existed, the principle of the tithe existed. It's not a law thing. It's not a Moses thing. We're not under the law anymore, but we're still under this principle that God gave us. Some people suggest that the New Testament frees us from the tithe, but that's absurd. In the New Testament, God gave us more in Jesus Christ. He only gave his only son to die. How can we give him less than God said belongs to him in the, in the Old Testament? It doesn't make any sense at all. Jesus, when he came, he didn't focus a lot on the tithe. He didn't preach and hammer the tithe because it was just assumed. People gave the tithe. Even if they weren't really godly people, they gave a tithe. They gave a 10% of everything. They would count the seeds of their harvest and separate one-tenth and give it to God. They they gave that. They gave the tithe, but then Jesus said, okay, that's a great place to start. Now I want you to also give other important matters like grace and mercy and love and sacrifice to people. So we need to be generous in all these things. But the Bible teaches us the principle that God laid out in the beginning. And the reality, like all of God's commands, God has a plan for the teaching of the tithe. And that was given as a guide to help us know where we should begin giving, to, to reach that point. And like all of God's laws and commands, it's for our good. In fact, there are three things I think the tithe actually does for us. First of all, it teach us, teaches us to put God first, to put God first in our life. Deuteronomy chapter 14 says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. When you are giving to God before you spend anything else, that is a way of putting God first. It's acknowledging that. For those of us who tithe, it's a reminder of who's first in our lives. That we give of what the Bible calls the first fruits. That means our tithe comes off the top, not the leftovers. Why? Because there'll never be enough leftovers to tithe. Never. I've never seen that happen unless you're just, extremely wealthy and thrifty. And if you don't tithe, um, uh, and it is a scary thing, if you don't tithe, you probably think you don't have enough to do so. And you, you might have to make some changes in your life. You might have to actually put God first in your life, and you might have to rearrange your life around Him. But isn't that what we're called to do already? Isn't that what God, what a Christian is supposed to do? So in reality, it would take some crazy kind of faith to believe that God would provide if you gave away part of what you had before you spent anything on yourself. But that's exactly what God's asking you to do. The reality is that we, any of us, can give a little from our excess, but tithing teaches us to put God first, the first fruits. The second thing it does is that tithing builds our faith. It builds our faith. Malachi chapter 3 says, "'Will a mere mortal rob God?' "'But you rob me.'" When you, you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings?' You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So this is what God says. It, It says that, he says, you're robbing me. And they're like, we would never rob you, God. Yeah, you are. You're robbing me when you're not giving the tithe. He says, bring the, the tithe to the storehouse, and the storehouse is the temple in that day. It's the church of this day, and so that's where we bring the tithe. Now, notice it doesn't say, give the tithe. I think that's an interesting distinction, because it isn't ours to give. It's God's. We bring it. We bring it back, and if we keep it, God says we're robbing him. And if we rob God, he says you are being, you're under a curse, you're cursed by God, but you're also robbing yourselves, and you're, you're experiencing the curse of scarcity. So God says this, he said, don't be dumb. I mean, it's dumb not to, don't steal from me and then put yourself under a curse and never have enough. Obey me and I'll open the gates of heaven. I'll pour out so many blessings that you'll not have room enough to receive it. Now, again, you have probably heard this. It's the only place in the Bible we're challenged to test God. Nowhere else does God say, test me on this. God says, just believe me on this. But in this, God says, test me on that and see if I won't be faithful. Let me ask you this, if you don't do that already, why don't you do it? Why don't you just test God? Say, you know, just say, I'm going to test you, God, and see what, if you're true or not, if you're telling the truth. But I know people who struggle financially, and they struggle with consistent income, but they will not even consider tithing. I feel sorry for them. I really do. I don't know what else to to do to help, but their lack of faith cripples them financially. Giving empowers us and blesses us because we're in the will of God. We're not under that curse that the Bible talks about. Tithing builds our faith. It really does. We learn to trust God when we make sacrifices. I know that it's built my faith. You know, Lori and I have tithed for as long as I can remember, not because I'm a minister, but because it's a command for all believers. We believe that. We tithe on every dime that comes in. My paycheck, her paycheck, any income that I get, we tithe it. We automatically tithe it. I know a good deal when I see it, you know. I'd be, I would be foolish. I would be afraid to stop doing that. I really believe that God has the ability to, to cut off the blessing just like He has the ability to give them. And over the last few years, we've been able to go well beyond the tithe, and we've seen God bless exponentially. I've always, you know, I've told you that I've always worried about retirement, but I no longer do that because God has grown my faith to know that He's going to take care of us. God will never, ever abandon us, He will never stop blessing us. And so we've arranged our lives and our finances around that. I mean, we're just crazy like that because we believe God, and frankly, because it works. So I would tell you, if you don't do that, test God. See if it works. If it doesn't work for you, I don't even know what to say because it'll work for you, I'm sure, all right? Thirdly, tithing provides for the work of God's church. I don't make any apologies for that. When you return The tithe to God's church—a lot gets done all over the world. In Malachi chapter three, it says, "Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house." So the house of worship makes a difference uh, of God. This house of worship makes a difference almost every day of the year. You don't—you're not here every day, but I'm here most days of the year, and I want to tell you this place is busy. This place is here because people give—the only reason. I think some people may think there's some alternate funding that comes in somewhere. I can promise you it doesn't happen. This place is here. It exists. Our ministers exist because people give sacrificially every day of the year. If it's not a worship service going on, it might be a Bible study somewhere. Or it might be a Christian preschool where little kids are taught about Jesus. Memory verses, first things they learn. Or it might be a Christian school that where children are, are encouraged and taught about Jesus and as well as everything else. It might be a Christian summer camp. Over 80 kids every day this year. They say their memory verses together. They pray together. I mean, kids that have no church background are getting some of that because this place exists. Um, parachurch organizations and events, weddings, funerals, community events. This place is here. It's open because people give. I make no apologies of that. It provides a place, a center, of worship and service and ministry. And because we exist on top of that, money is given to missionaries all over the world, like Joe and Patty Klein, who can live in Denton, Texas, through our partially our funding, and be able to start a church, Bible studies in a church, and reach people for Jesus in a dynamically growing city. But not just there, all over the world, where the gospel is preached, where the hungry are fed, where they provide birthing centers in third world countries, like we see in Haiti, providing and supporting pastors and missionaries in places that you and I will never go, providing emergency services in disasters, giving food bags, rice bags to people all over the world, helping those in addiction, and through Journey Provisions, our our ministry here, giving thousands of dollars to organizations in our own community. There's a lot that goes on because this church exists and because people give. And there's spiritual food served here every time we come together. Our mission as a church is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. This is what we do here. This is what we do. It's possible because somebody gave in the past and somebody is giving in the present. And what we can do going forward basically depends on how God's people give. Pretty simple. It makes makes perfect sense. So if this place has made a difference in your spiritual life, then I encourage you to be generous in your giving. I I ask that unashamedly. No guilt, hoping to inspire you. If you've been blessed and you don't give it all, I challenge you to start doing that. I challenge you to test God, see if God is truthful in what he says. This is what we do. My question is, are you a part of the we? Are you a part of the we? And you know what? This isn't just what we do. It's who we are. It's who we are. It's the DNA that we have in Jesus Christ. We are followers of Jesus. He was a giver, and so we give. God blesses us, continue to, we acknowledge that, and we're generous. And I want to challenge you, if that's you, I want to challenge you to move from the scarcity mindset to the abundant mindset. It's amazing, and I've talked to people who have literally done this, who were struggling all their life, always wondered why they never had enough, but they began to put their money in God's hands and use God's principles, and there's many people in this room that could give a testimony to that. And you will see how God blesses you because it's putting yourself in a place where God can be, use you and also where God can bless you. That's not a health and wealth thing. It's just a Bible thing. And we give to God because God first gave to us. He gave us Jesus. So that's my challenge to you. If you are a believer and you have not discovered how God can help you with your finances, give you satisfaction... It's another big part of it, learning to be satisfied in what we have and living within our means, whatever they may be at the time, but it's also letting God being in your life and adopting this abundant mindset. Now, if you're here today and you've never discovered a relationship with, with, uh, with this generous God, I want to encourage you to reach out to Him. You see, God doesn't really want your money. He wants you. He wants you. And then when He has you, you begin to understand how God wants to lead your life and how we can put, you can put him first in your life. And so I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. Or maybe you're here today and just the whole concept of God being so generous that he would give his only son to die strikes you as, as important and significant. And you want to make a decision about that. And so Tony and I are going to be up here during the next song that we sang here in a few moments. And we're going to be available to pray with you. Maybe it has nothing to do with money. Maybe it has all to do with the hurt a need in your life or something you're struggling with. And and we'd be glad to pray with you and, and, and maybe talk to you about your next step on your journey. But we'll be available after that.